Hey, Daniel, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you, Rick? I am doing great. How's pastoring going for you? How long have you been uh, uh, at the helm of the church there in New York? Uh, just over eight months. So we're, uh, we're almost through a year now. Loving it the same, loving it more. Even more. Just uh, um, should have done should have done this much earlier, <laughs> but but God had other plans. So. Sure, we make our plans. He orders our steps. Hey, so is there yeah. snow on the ground? Uh, yes, there is actually. Uh, it snowed uh, quite a bit on on Sunday, and uh, tomorrow's going to be seventy. So. Huh, that sounds like here. Yes, yeah, spring is uh, here, and uh, I am quite grateful. Uh, it's been see, here for a couple of weeks, but see, yeah, you, you know the weather. You guys have here. that, yeah, you have that yellow snow, that, that stuff called pollen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I forget about that every year, and uh, my eyes were itching a couple of weeks ago, and, and Lucia had to remind me, it, you're okay, you're not sick, that is pollen. I don't, I don't miss that at all. Yeah, I, I'm so used to it. I don't even think about it anymore. I just scratch my <laughs> eyes in the spring, and then, then here comes summer. All right, so <clears throat> good. Uh, pastoring is. Uh, I'm glad it's going well for you, and you guys are, uh, you, you all are settling in, and your children. Yeah. Uh, what what's their school situation up there? <clears throat> well, the uh, youngest isn't quite in school. Uh, next year she'll start, um, and then the oldest three are are in a Christian school here and um doing well so uh, our oldest is getting ready to be in a play uh the school play is one of the um the funny characters so she's really excited about that we're excited for her good any fear of man issues uh not with not with any of my kids they uh <laughs> yeah they're that, uh, that, they're that, could, that could be a blessing <laughs> and a curse <laughs> yeah they're handfuls so <laughs> they, of course they get it from their mom <laughs> sure we'll we'll cut, yeah. we'll cut that out of the uh yeah we'll cut yeah that out of the video all right so uh mask mandates are you all wearing them in new york or they've been lifted no, no mask mandates uh too close to elections so uh, all that's <laughs> gone away um yeah all right praise god for midterms <laughs> that's right that's right all right so tell me what's on your mind well i mean um you know, I think I think there's so much to talk about. We can um, uh, now that we have more time, and and uh, I shouldn't say we have more time because we really don't have more time, but uh, can can prioritize better. Uh, Want to you know keep making material for people to to be uh, blessed by, to be used in their ministry. Right. And uh, recently, the the DSM uh, five was revised, so they call it the DSM five. Uh, TR or text uh, revision and uh, really revisions, but um, there's, there's a lot of interesting changes, a lot of uh, disorders that even have been added to it. Um, So it's, it's going to be thicker and probably more expensive too. Now, did they do that uh, to the one, two, three, and four, or is this the first time that they've done a text revision of an actual? Uh, they did it to the four. Yep, they, they did, did it to the four. Yeah, and and when when the five came out, they actually publicly announced that they wouldn't produce any more; that they would just add to five. Um, but as as many within the American Psychiatric Association, who who owns the DSM. Uh, they they actually acknowledge that this is a huge money maker for uh, the American Psychiatric Association. So I mean, from a business standpoint, uh, it makes sense to keep publishing this, you know, for for people to to purchase. Right, and so you put on your product new and improved, and change the label a little bit, and you can sell more. Uh, we, we have a relative that lives uh, in Novi, Michigan, and he works for the University of Michigan. He's a, a psychologist, uh, a professor. And he writes the book, the actual psychology book for Michigan and also at uh, other universities by it as well. And he told me the same thing. He said he, as soon as he finishes whatever the latest edition is, he starts in on the next edition. And that is a huge uh, moneymaker. I'm not questioning his motives. I'm just saying this is how marketing uh, works. He's doing uh, what he's told. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> right. Or what he's, he's hired to do. But the DSM, uh, so the Diagnostic Statistical Manual number five, this is the APA uh, Bible, uh, so to speak. But th- this is a little more 
Uh, I, I would say nefarious because, again, I don't want to question their motives, but they have a worldview that is antithetical to the biblical worldview. And so, uh, first of all, just set up the tension there between the two Bibles. We have ours and they have theirs. And what would be a couple talking points as far as the difference between uh, the DSM-5 and the Bible? And why is the Bible sufficient? I'm sure that's your worldview. And what is the problem with the DSM-5? And I got some other questions I want to ask you as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and even even the idea of Bible uh, is somewhat controversial. But I mean, you have people like uh, the prominent Nasir Gami, uh, who, interestingly enough, he he's uh, one of the the teaching psychiatrists at Harvard and Tufts University, and then left to go to him. Mean, he he kept teaching adjunctly, but um, took over Novartis and um, just in the last month actually resigned from Novartis because he said. Uh, it's just as corrupt as as the academic uh, psychiatry. So it, that's a whole. Maybe we can do a video even on that. It's a really fascinating uh, his talking points leaving, but he doesn't he he doesn't like. I mean, he actually calls it the psychiatric, but he calls it the holy uh, psychiatric Bible, um, and and as a nod to you know the scripture. Um, Others like Alan Francis, who headed up Duke University Psychiatry, right. he, he doesn't like calling it a Bible. In fact, he rejects that uh, notion in his book, Saving Normal, um, at the same time saying, hey, these are just constructs. They're not actual diseases in the DSM-5. Those are his words, not mine. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's even debate about that. But essentially, the philosophy behind the DSM-5, uh, it really goes back to in, in uh, the history, uh, which I won't get into to answer this, um, but uh, the, the philosophy is evolutionary thinking. So uh, um, Dr. Lieberman, who's at Columbia University, who, was, who chaired the DSM-5 originally, uh, his name is in there if you open it up, uh, he actually says that this is a manual to explain human nature and who we are. So it's, it's just as much anthropology as we would would think it was psychology, if I can say it that way. In fact, I would argue it's 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 more trying to present an idea of what is normal based on ideas of what are allegedly abnormal. So that's that's really the philosophy behind this is um, they're presenting to us a new way of thinking about ourselves through this lens. Which I don't fault them for that in the sense sure. that uh, if you're going to reject. God's word, then you have to come up with something. And so absolutely, um, we believe in creationism. They believe in evolution. Uh, we believe the Bible is sufficient for uh, what ails us, uh, our yeah. anthropology, biblically speaking. And of course, they reject that. And so there can't be a void there. And so someone, in, in fact, is a series of individuals who have evolved in their thinking, and now we have the DSM-5. Now, they have come up with the TR, uh, Textus Receptus, or what would you, you call it? Text, text revisions or, or revised. It's, it's revision is the actual uh, okay. I, term. I want, I want text to get, re, text I want. revision. I want to get that right. Text revision. <laughs> All right, so they've added new disorders. Now, that is not a new thing because when they came out with the DSM-1, well, the two was they had more disorders. So this is not a new thing. It's just that they right. are adding to the original DSM-5. Do you know some of the disorders for the uh, this TR? Yeah, one, one of the... Uh already most controversial and, and this was published in march 18th so uh 2022 um you know i don't know when people will be watching this video uh down the road and so already it's controversial i mean it just came out and uh prolonged grief disorder and i'll, I'll i actually uh, pulled it pulled it up from the american uh, psychiatric association i haven't got my copy yet um but uh, it, it reads this, prolonged grief disorder is defined as an intense yearning or longing for a deceased, often with intense sorrow and emotional pain, and a preoccupation with thoughts or memories of the deceased. In children, adolescents, uh, this preoccupation may focus on the circumstances of the death. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, if you're grieving, that's grieving, right? I mean, that's right. for everyone. So evidently, um, we're only allowed to, because again, the, the title is prolonged uh, grief disorder. So 
uh, within their view of what is normal or what is acceptable within their evolutionary thinking, uh, we're only allowed to grieve a certain amount of time. And as you and I know, in counseling people who have lost loved ones, uh, that that there is no time limit. Everyone's different in uh, how how grief is reflected, how they deal with that grief. And um, so that, that's why even within the secular realm, this this is another controversial uh, disorder. What's the extended period? How, how long is prolonged? Um, I, I haven't looked at I'm, I'm you know, just just based off of what they're offering on their website. But I've heard uh, just in what I've read that it's a year that you have basically a year to grieve and then you got to get over it. And I've counseled people um, thinking one one particular lady that lost her husband in, in war, in the theater of war, um, you know, three years afterwards, uh, unfortunately, church members were themselves saying, hey, you need to move on and get married again. And she wasn't ready to do that. And it just illustrates that we're all different. You know, we 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 grieve differently. And it takes takes I mean, if you really love someone uh, and they're a huge part of your life, especially in marriage, you're one flesh it's okay to grieve and and that needs to happen. There shouldn't be a time limit on that. So and in fact, that there's just the word prolonged there in itself is an issue. Yeah. And there's more nuance to it than that. Uh, God's strength is perfected through our weakness. And so there right. are some dynamics that God is working through uh, grief. And those are the lessons, some of the lessons that we want to learn when we're going through grief. I, I've described it like going through a dark tunnel. And, and the, the the length of the tunnel is different from person to person, uh, but yeah. as you as you go through it, you want to learn the lessons that God is teaching you, and we come at it from a sovereignty of God perspective. All right. Amen. So what's what's the issue? Uh, so they attach disorder at the end of all of those modifiers there, and so where does what does that mean? Is that, so if you go longer than whatever the prolonged time is, uh, then what is the solution? Well, so interestingly enough, the the idea of prolonged, um, you know, going to the DSM, I've actually got the DSM here, uh, the five, this isn't the, the revised version. Again, I haven't purchased my, my copy, but um, if, if you go on page 20, where they allegedly define, I mean, it's, they admit it's subjective, their definition of mental disorder. One of the key components is impairment. So if you're impaired, which obviously grief would be an impairment. I mean, it, it, it by nature is impairing. Nobody wants grief, right? right. Um, but then the second aspect that they they say qualifies someone going from normal to disordered uh, would be a persistency. So so it's prolonged. It's something that that uh, in their view within humanism you can get over. Going back to that philosophy, that worldview. Uh, evolutionary thinking, of course, is, is humanistic, that, that man is his own savior, so figure it out. And if you can't do that, and this persists, that's actually a word they use, persist. Uh, if it's impairing and persistent, then it somehow qualifies you as disordered. So this would be normal until it persists and impairs your life. So that that's the idea. And, um, you know, just again, I have it here in front of me. I mean, if I'll just read something uh, on 19, it says, says I wasn't planning on doing this, but um, it, it's, this is under uh, the use of the manual. So, you know, how is someone to use this manual? They say here on, on the first page, although a, syst a systemic check for the presence of these criteria as they apply to each patient will assure a more reliable assessment, the relative severity and balance of individual criteria and their contribution to a diagnosis require clinical judgment. So they're admitting here that that you know clinical judgment really is what what this amounts to. Like I would have to decide if I was a psychiatrist or psychologist or therapist using this manual if I think that that grief is severe, it's impairing and persistent enough. In other words, so. It's not even a reliable, I mean, they're admitting that this isn't reliable because we all have different opinions of what that looks like. Um, but you, you asked specifically, okay, they're labeling this as disorder. What's the treatment plan? And, and interestingly enough, right, you know, one sentence beyond what I just read, it says it requires clinical training. This is on page 19 of the DSM-5. It requires clinical training to recognize when the combination of predisposing, precipitating, perpetuating and protective factors, really nice P's there, um, 
it's like a, a sermon outline uh, and protective factors has resulted in psychopathological condition in which physical signs and symptoms exceed normal ranges. The ultimate goal of a clinical case formulation is to use the available, available contextual and diagnostic information in developing a comprehensive treatment plan. So they're saying the overall goal here is for you to see a person's problem through what we've categorized so that you can know how to treat them. And unfortunately, there really is no hope uh, for in, in the world system for sorrow. They, they, right. they can talk, talk to people and encourage them, which really isn't anything special. That's, that's relationships. You know, we, we know that relationships help. Um, so, you know, part, part of this problem is, um, again, they're assuming that this is a disorder, number one, and number two, they don't know how to fix it because it doesn't fit within, within their evolutionary thinking. And of course we, we know that, that um, we look at the exact same phenomena that, that are very real. I mean, a person going through grief for a long period of time, we, we see that in scripture, you know, Job, for example, uh, went through years of, of suffering and uh, what we would call trauma Paul's entire life. I mean, he talks about uh, constant sorrow in second Corinthians chapter two and lists things like sleepless nights and beatings and, and torture and rejection, et cetera. So, um, you know, scripture is full of, of examples of, of prolonged grief. Uh, Jesus himself um, uh, weeping over the loss of loved ones. And, and I would include there the doubt of, of those around of his, his ability to, to raise people from the dead. So we have the same phenomena in our, in our Bible, uh, but how do we choose to look at people going through that? Right. I- anything that they describe in the DSM, virtually anything that they describe the Bible talks about. And so there are these parallel tracks that you go down. Uh, you're right. They do not offer hope, but there is a lot of subjective analysis that is there. And that's going to change. And that's going to be different from person to person, as well as whatever the pres- prescription may be. Right. But the end result and the, the lack of hope is a huge thing because there is no there is no remedy for this. The, it's right. a victim centered mindset that you adopt in order if you do adopt the DSM uh, five. So if someone I want to get into a little bit more into the philosophy and the worldview of the DSM. Uh, if someone came to you and they were beholding to the DSM-5 and they had some kind of uh, disorder, how would you talk to them? What would be some of the points that you would want to make around this area of philosophy and worldview to try to persuade them that there's a better philosophy and a worldview, a bibliocentric one? Yeah, um, I mean, there's several ways that, that I don't have a set way. Um, it just kind of depends on, right. you know, if I'm talking to a physician, uh, or, or someone with a biological uh, degree, you know, degree in biology, or 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 understands, you know, more a scientific nature. That's where I would start with them, and then lead them into a biblical understanding. But I, I think it's essential for us to understand that um, <clears throat> the DSM is highly, uh, highly phenomenological, and I, we've used that. You know, there's videos on that that we've done. But just as a, a reference for those maybe jumping into this video rather than, you know, following us all along, um, th- again, this is this is widely understood within psychiatry, within psychology, uh, the whole mental health system that the DSM is phenomenological. So uh, that's that's not my thought. That's that's a reality. And essentially, phenomenology is trying to understand the metaphysical nature of of who we are. Uh, there clearly are valid medical issues in the DSM that should not be there, like autism, like uh, dementia or, or Alzheimer's being part of dementia. And we've also done videos on that. And unfortunately, that's why the DSM is thought of as a medical book. Um, but uh, if, if they're very educated person, I'll, I'll walk them through a, you know, an understanding that the secular world gets this, that this is a stopgap. It's not actually saying something objective they they admit like we don't know how else to describe or even approach these these phenomena that we're calling uh mental disorders so we've constructed these ideas in order to um approach people 
And they admit openly that these are not objective, they're not reliable, and they're not valid. I mean, that's that's uh, um, a prominent psychiatrist, uh, ironically, published in the Psychiatric Times, which is owned by the American Psychiatric Association. Um, uh, the very week that the DSM-5 TR came out, uh, said this. He said, we still don't have any reliability, any validity. Uh, we, and, and interestingly enough, the revisions that were made to things like bipolar disorder, for example, bipolar one, um, actually highlight this because they understood that people were diagnosing people uh, with schizophrenia, with bipolar, with schizoaffective disorder. So they could take the same person with delusional thinking and, and take them to three different people and they would have three different labels. And, and there's actually numerous others. If you go to their website and look at the revision, they admit there was a real problem in distinguishing between these. So there's no reliability uh, um, between these disorders and there's no validity. In other words, no one's actually ever discovered. Uh, uh, again, the phenomena are real. Like if, you, if you're labeled as schizophrenia, they've never actually discovered in nature schizophrenia, but the delusions and hallucinations, the phenomena are very real, but they don't know what to do with those. So they, they just categorize them as if that's explaining, you know, but it's not, it's, it's a failure to explain essentially. So when you say that the, uh, it's not valid and it's not reliable, you're not talking about the phenomena. The phenomena is something is happening to some body. That is the phenomenon. That's what you mean by phenomenon. Grief, grief, for example, that is a phenomenon. It's it's a very real phenomenon. All right, and so the phenomenon is real, but uh, the the problem is is that the DSM is a descriptive psychology book, but yet there can be multiple, as you described with schizophrenia, there can be multiple descriptions or three different descriptions that you laid out, and so that makes it unreliable because. You're saying it can change from person to person to person, whoever is analyzing the individual with the real phenomenon. But even if they are describing, I understand that there's three different doors here, and so that makes it unreliable, but there's still no help for the individual. Right. And so yeah, that and, makes- and if I can follow up, not only are are is it unreliable as far as between different people and between different clinicians, but it's also unreliable in that um, they can change the, the, the concept or the construct, I should say, uh, what they call a syndrome, if you would, or a disorder, they can change that at will, which is part of why uh, the TR exists. So I'll, I'll, I'll highlight this with gender dysphoria if I can. So this is a, a hot topic in our culture, right? Um, the whole idea of gender dysphoria, it, it changed from the concept of transgenderism to gender dysphoria, but um, they, they made changes. And so on, on this, is, this is printed off, you can go to their website, print it off on the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, they, they actually give their rationale for change. So it's like we, we sat down and interviewed them. So why did you change this? And listen to what they say. And keep in mind, if you're diagnosed with gender dysphoria, you're being diagnosed with an alleged medical condition, right? Just like you would with bipolar or ADHD or schizophrenia. And and this is what they they say. The text of gender dysphoria was updated to use culturally sensitive language. Now that that in itself exposes something here. So it's not only not reliable between people and between clinicians, they're actually constructing these based off of, of social thinking. Uh, in other words, this is what is often called a social construct. And that's the, 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 the beauty of, of using um, these ideas, these constructs or syndromes to create these. So listen to what they did here. They changed desired gender was changed to experienced gender because they, they don't want this to be about the heart issue. I mean, desire is you know where our treasures are, where our desires are, there's our heart also. So they changed it from desired gender in the DSM-5 to now experienced gender gender, like you're just experiencing this versus you have a metaphysical heart, your soul, if I can say it that way, they're trying to make this a material thing. Uh, They also changed cross-sex medical procedure to gender affirming medical procedure. Uh, Again, talking about the physical sex that someone is versus what they feel that they are. Um, Another one they changed is cross-sex hormone treatment to gender affirming hormone treatment 
uh, and this is my favorite, natal male, they changed to individual assigned male at birth. Now, they're going to have to change that again in the next revision because who assigned the gender, right? Uh, that that uh, presupposes that there's a designer that's assigning gender. And so they really messed up on this one as well. So they're going to have to change that down the road. So changing natal male to now individual assigned male at birth isn't going to isn't going to cut it within their evolutionary thinking. They're still admitting there's a designer there. Um, so, yeah. yeah, this is a, this is a pattern that goes back to, I mean, the first DSM and the second and the third, uh, the, the common illustration that we use is that homosexual homosexuality used to be a disorder and then it evolved to where homosexuality right. is an acceptable lifestyle. And those who are opposed to that, which we call homophobia now, that is the real disorder. And so it That's does right. the social construct, but getting back to uh, affirming uh, the individual and, and now it, it, science is a moving target. And so their problem is, is that the malleability of science, there's no putting a nail in it and saying that two plus two uh, equals four. You can make it anything you want. You can make male, female. You, it's fluid now. It can be anything that you right. want where the Bible, you know, stands for truth. But it's continued to evolve. Uh, you're talking about affirming gender. Well, from a doctor's perspective, you know, it's called affirmative care or affirmative therapy. And so now the doctor is, is pretty much bound, I mean, unless they want to lose their license and, and start another vocation. But when now what you have is the patient coming to you and telling you that I am, I, I'm a male on my birth certificate, but I feel like a woman and the doctor can't do anything about that other than affirm what the individual uh, is saying that they believe they are, which is what the essence right. of what affirmative care or affirmative therapy is. And so the doctor is really no doctor at all. He's just a person who is affirming their feelings. And so there's no medical advice. There's there's no leadership from the scientific or medical community. But that is right. the evolution, not just of the DSM-5, but all of the communities that are involved uh, with it, including the medical community. And so we talked earlier about the DSM uh, being a medical book, being a Bible, uh, being something else. Uh, how how would you how would you describe it? What is the DSM five? Uh, well, it it is a a category of constructs, you know, that that attempt to describe very real phenomena. The phenomena, again, I, I'm emphasizing this purposely, are very real, <clears throat> but it's it's really a worldview. Um, in fact, if, if I'll I'll. Uh, just I'm thinking of on page 20 here, uh, I've, I've got the DSM-5 memorized. We're going to have to memorize the new TR. <laughs> I don't have it memorized, but um, the uh, on page 20, it says the definition of mental disorder was developed for clinical, public health and research purposes. I think that's significant in considering what is what is the DSM. They're, they're, they're admitting that the purpose, the definition of mental disorder was in fact developed or created. It's not something that was discovered, right? It's, it's developed for healthcare. In other words, to sustain this model. It's not actually developed to heal and help people. It's developed to sustain this model. And that's the real, real problem that I have with, with the DSM is that when people accept it as if it were reliable and valid, as if it were helpful, you you have to also accept the system that it's created to actually put you into. And because it's phenomenological, when you accept a DSM label, you are now taking on that identity. You're taking on that viewing yourself, not through the lens of Christ, but through the lens of, of bipolar. And I, I'm sure people would try to argue Oh well, I I see myself in Christ, and I see myself, and and I would say you can't, you can't really understand this evolutionary idea, and the exact same phenomena that Christ talks about, and see yourself through the lens of of Christ. Um, they are opposing worldview, and and again, seculars openly admit this. They they want to take us away from understanding our soul biblically. I I, I recently wrote an article on that. That I mean, they are. I, I quit. I quit putting quotes in because I think ten was like they understand that. So, 
what I would say is this is this is really a a anthropology that opposes scripture. Um, you know, going back to uh, they they often call it, it it's really known as the neo Kreplinian model. Uh, Emil Kreplin that we've talked about. Uh, he he is uh, everyone understands this is Kreplinian. His his first book, if you would, categorizing alleged mental disorders, is what this is based off, and that's widely recognized. It's it's widely understood. And he purposed to take people away from scripture and start understanding their problems, their struggles, their impairments, their distresses through a new lens, through an evolutionary or humanistic, biological, materialistic lens. And so it, there's a great danger here. They also call it the biopsychosocial model and emphasizing bio, right? Um, but that all of this has to be interpreted through a biological lens. Yes, society is involved. Yes. Um, uh, relationships, if you would, in society, and yes, the soul, but they they reduce the soul to biological anyway, and they reduce our relationships to uh, biological. I, I just re recently, I haven't read it yet, uh, purchased a book, The Biology of Parenting, um, written by a prominent psychiatrist, and, and what people don't understand is they really do look at all of our phenomena as physically caused, whether it's you're, you're in my faith, uh, whether it's parenting, it doesn't matter what it is. They, they look at it as if it's biologically caused. And this book is, is promoting that and pushing people to think of themselves in this new anthropology. Yeah, it's really hard to embrace an element of the culture and not accept the entire culture that comes with it. And right. that's that's right. I mean, the, the element is attached to a worldview, a philosophy. And to be able to dabble in it, you're going to dabble in all of it. And in essence, you're going to be serving two masters. Uh, and that's, that's, right. going, that's going to create a remarkable tension. And so what does this mean for biblical counselors? Both because the biblical counseling world, uh, you know, we, we divide it in, in three hard set categories. Uh, there is secular, there is biblical, and there is integrated. What you're talking about is in, an integration, where is a blending of, of the secular worldview, which, we're, which is the DSM-5, uh, TR, uh, and, and then the biblical worldview. There are some folks who are beholding, or they say, they're beholding to both. Can they live with this tug of war? Is, is it possible to live with this tension without convoluting things? Uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I mean, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I think we're all, if I can use the spectrum uh, in regard to what we call integrated, it's kind of, it's kind of like uh, uh, sanctification. You get a, a, a Pharisee. Um, I, that's not a good illustration. You get a legalist that's genuinely saved, like um, I'm preaching through Galatians right now. Those are those were genuine believers, but they had turned to the law instead of grace. So in their in their ideas of sanctification, they were at different places. If I could use that spectrum concept, and I think the tendency for us is to go, well, you're not at the same place in your sanctification as I am, and so a legalistic Christian is going to cut other Christians off. Sadly, instead of say, well, I see an issue here with with their concept of God or their practical outworking of grace in their life. And, as, and instead of cutting them off, a mature Christian says, how can I help them along? And I, I think in biblical counseling, um, what we've seen is, is the same thing happen. Like every one of us, like you and I probably have a different idea of what integration is, even though I think we're like-minded in, in a lot of things. Um, you know, I call you a friend. Uh, so I've clearly not cut you off. But if we talked long enough, we quickly find out there is a difference in our view of sanctification. And so, you know, I, I, I hope that we can be gracious in this. And, and you know, if people buy into the DSM, I, I'm going to fellowship with them. I'm going to talk with them, but I'm going to certainly love them because I am concerned where they're at. You know, but my my hope is, I think of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, you know, if if we want to gain the, the king's favor. In other words, if, if we desire for the king to come into truth, we have to be gracious. So it's not just we have truth and we bombard them and, and attack them with it. We have to be gracious and lead them into that. And so th there's been there's been articles written, there's been things written where, um, you know, I, I, after praying through things, I've just decided not to go after people, e even in a loving way, because I don't think they're ready to hear the truth. And it would actually 
cause them to put up a wall, if you would. So I, I don't, even though integration is a, a real concept, I don't go around calling people that. I hope, hope this is helpful, but I certainly want them to come out of, out of that mindset. Um, you know, I've, I've heard others say, I reject the DSM, but I'm going to accept these constructs. Like, I, I believe this construct is real and that construct is real. I, I just, I mean, you're accepting the same worldview. You're accepting the Kreplinian mindset. So uh, again, we, we have to be gracious here. The, the goal is for us to all grow in truth, not to be right or wrong. And, and so hopefully that answered your question there. Yeah, part of the problem is that uh, it's a faith issue. Yeah. And they, they believe this. I mean, confidence, faith, hope, trust, belief, those are synonyms. And they have faith in this. And when you start addressing something that an individual has faith in, it can be confrontational. And that's where we do yeah. need uh, to be gracious. We need to be clear in what we believe, uh, but we don't need to be cutting necessarily cutting people off. I mean, ultimately, right. where we cut people off, as you, I'm sure you're going through Galatians and talking about the gospel, uh, that is the defining line. But when it comes to sanctification issues, there are competing worldviews. It is unfortunate, uh, but understanding that what a person believes, they believe by faith. And so you need to address it directly, clearly, but also compassionately as well, because you are, a, a, they feel it as an attack uh, to their right. faith, uh, something that they are very much loyal to. Are you encouraged or discouraged by the trends that you see in biblical counseling? Um. I think uh, there's a, a clear watershed right now, and that's a good thing. You know, even even in the New Testament, we're told that there have to be divisions among us to know what it, you know who is in truth. And so I think that's expected. I think that's expect. It's going to be expected throughout the history of of biblical counseling. It has been expected. Um, you know, there there seems to be a group of of biblical counselors that have have risen up to attack anyone who who graciously stands for truth or has stood for truth, especially kind of the founders, if you would. Although, you know, you, you go, you go back through the Puritans, go back through like Rich, you know, Richard Baxter and, and different people, biblical counseling or soul care has been around, you know, way before the movements. Um, but it, it's important for us to, to, uh, to understand that there's going to be division and, um, I, I'm really excited, you know, about what God's doing within the biblical counseling realm. Um, you know, I think of, uh, you're a fellow in ACBC, I think of Dale Johnson and, uh, what God's doing in and through him. Um, just, you know, the, the last ACBC conference was, was phenomenal and just really, uh, this is truth. It was done in a gracious way. And, you know, some people didn't like that because it, it like you said, this, this is a faith issue. Um, if I can just, to add, I, I, um, just thinking of, you know, you were talking about walking people out of the DSM. I think there's another part of this too, where we counsel people that have these labels, they've bought into the labeling system. In other words, they've taken on that identity. And I, what I found is just walking them through that in a gracious way and walking them out of that. So they no longer see themselves as bipolar today's national bipolar day we're filming on uh you know within oh, the secular is it okay with, yep within the secular world uh so i'll use that as an example um you know we we have uh actually two people in our church here we have numerous people have been labeled with schizophrenia bipolar uh one one individual for 12 years was you know taking heavy heavy drugs like lithium uh technically it's a salt but uh, they call it a drug and um just, I mean, God, God saved him. He's just a completely new person. I mean, doesn't, doesn't, uh, those things are, are literally gone away. He is now a new creature as scripture tells us. And in fact, he came to me um, a couple months ago and said, you know, I really want to help people that are labeled as God has helped me. And so this is just a case in point of that. When he started seeing himself through God's eyes, uh, the exact same phenomena, you know, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, when he started seeing himself as uh, through through the lens of scripture versus this secular paradigm, it was a game changer. And that happened after God regenerated him and his eyes were open to truth. And you would you would never know. I mean, he just got married uh, a year ago. It's just a, a great testimony of actually uh, I got married seven months ago, right after I got here. So um, just 
as an example of the hope in Christ. But I, I know if I cannot help someone come out of that mindset and they can't see, again, this is phenomenological. They understand that if, if they can't see themselves as Christ sees them, then I can't really give them hope because Jesus is that hope. I mean, he really is the hope of change. So um, that, that's vital. And, and I'm not going to use the word integrated or anything like that when I'm counseling someone. But I'm going to tell you the very first thing that I do is I actually use the DSM because many people who are labeled have never even seen how they're being labeled and what's being said of them. And uh, like when I when I counsel ADHD again, um, most of those parents after they go through the DSM go, well, that's not actually like my my son doesn't even fit the criteria, and so we we have to lovingly walk them out of that as well. So. That's important, uh, very important. Uh, there, there really cannot not be an identity in Christ if there's a false identity in the DSM. Yeah, and I think some people have to distinguish between uh, what God has called them to do. I mean, are they an apologist or, or are they a, a counselor slash disciple maker? An apologist uh, can pick a fight and they can get into right. debates. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that if they do it with humility and compassion and courage. And that, that is an individual who is making these distinctions between two worldviews. And it is a full-on debate with one argument hopefully winning over the other. But biblical counselors should not be doing that. Biblical counselors should be taking those individuals who are coming to them and one by one pneumatically walking them through whatever it is the issue is that they are asking you to help them with. Uh, in basketball parlance, it's the difference between uh, forcing yourself upon the game or allowing the game come to you. I don't force myself on whatever the controversies that are going on in biblical counseling world or uh, the DSM world. I just don't push myself into those arenas. I sit here and I uh, work with the folks that come to me and help them because they come, they come with an interest, they come with questions, they come with a desire to change. There is teachability, there is humility, and so we just start walking through it. And so I don't get into the argumentation of DSM-5, and I don't play whack-a-mole with people if, if they right. use the wrong word or use the wrong book. Uh, it really doesn't sure. matter to me. Uh, what matters is I know where their starting point is, and, and I know where to begin with them according to what they are telling to, telling me. And so, in essence, I'm letting the game come to me rather than forcing myself uh, on it. There have been biblical, biblical counselors in the past who have been what I call aggravationist. Uh, they just, they're just always... It, it, inevitably it just stirs up strife and it doesn't it doesn't help unless God has called you to be an apologist I would say that Jay Adams was probably as much of an apologist as he was a a biblical counselor but he was a unique individual that was carving a path that did not exist and so there was a lot of debate that went on with him but for most of us we're just doing soul care and so we want to take people where they are find their starting point and then begin to walk them into a sufficiency of worldview uh, perspective where they can ultimately find help and hope that can lead to uh, transformation. And, and so I like the non-argumentative uh, non, uh, uh, approach uh, for those of us who are doing the work of discipleship. All right, so uh, we can wrap up here. Do you have any other uh, thoughts uh, about uh, the DSM-5TR? Um. Obviously, this this you know this won't be the end of it. Um, there'll be a, a DSM six, I'm sure, and typically right. it's around ten years. Uh, this one was nine years, so um, you know we we should expect that, which means we'll all, all have to ourselves update our books and put new uh, new uh, versions out that we mentioned the DSM in. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just think. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm burdened that we understand we truly have like it, if the DSM didn't exist, it wouldn't change anything. You know, right. it, I mean, as far as what we what we need and what we have, it's not a tool for Christians is what I'm trying to say. It, it's not helpful in any way. Uh, the disorders that are listed and again, besides autism, dementia, you know, valid things that should never be in there. And I think we've done videos on that. If I recall why they're in there, they shouldn't be. Um other than those, none of these disorders have actually been been discovered in nature. Like you, you can't actually 
scientifically observe what we're calling ADHD or schizophrenia or bipolar. We, you can observe the phenomena, but you can't observe the actual construct. And that's why they can change these and alter these. So um, I, I would just encourage people to really think through, are they, are they putting their faith in Christ to explain these very real phenomena that, that are impairing and distressful and our struggles? Or are they putting their faith in man and man's uh, uh, philosophies that oppose what God has said? And, th- and that's really my heart in this. One final thought. I think there, there's two clear demographics that are beholding to the DSM-5. Uh, one are, are, are people who are low informational, uh, meaning that they don't really understand uh, how the Bible can impact their lives in a transformative way. And coinciding with that, they have been enculturated by a worldview, a secular worldview, and so they just naturally believe this this DSM-5 worldview uh, because of the materials that they read, the things that they watch, the media, and so forth. And so they just adopt it. And I see that so much within Christianity, that we incorporate that language almost in an unwitting way, and then it becomes part of how we communicate. Now, I understand that, and it's just a low information, low training uh, of understanding what the Bible is, the DSM, the differences, and so forth. But then there is another group that are not low information. They are more intellectual, and they, here's the question for you, why does the DSM-5 have appeal to them? Again, the low information people who just haven't been trained and unwittingly adopt these words and language and nomenclature, I get it. But why do the intellectual crowd, uh, why is this a temptation for them? And I'm talking about Christians, uh, even Christians that would be beholding to a biblical counseling worldview, but they have been to the academy. They have an MA or a PhD in biblical counseling and or theology, but yet they have this affinity to the DSM-5. Why do you think that's so? Um, That's a great question. Um, And not that the others weren't, but uh, you, (laughs) you, you, you expose a a real issue here with phenomenology in itself and, and, or the diagnostic system that is phenomenological. And that is that you've got a, um, when, when you can explain a phenomena, so for example, uh, someone's delusional and hallucinating. And after talking with the family, you find out, well, they haven't slept for three days. Well, anyone who's educated should immediately go, well, that, that makes sense what is causing that. So the explanation for the delusions and hallucinations are there. When, when there's no explanation, that's when people go, what do I do? And that's Christian, non-Christian. And so what happens is when they can explain it, uh, I was uh, doing a, a colloquium last year and with ACBC and Robert Whitaker actually mentioned uh, this in regard to depression. Someone asked, do you see depression ever being physical? And he said, I think 80% of all people diagnosed as depressed, it's explainable. Well, we, we know why they're, they're depressed. But 20%, they can't explain it. We can't explain it. The, the why and the what, if you would, of depression can't be explained. Well, uh, fortunately for me, I was right after him. So he, he set the table for me. And, and what he did was he didn't validate depression as a physical issue with the 20%. All he did was expose that 20% of the time clinicians can't actually explain. And so what happens is when, when a Christian comes to uh, someone who's depressed and and that person seemingly can't at least verbalize why they're depressed or the counselor can't explain, they've been taught to think, well, failure to explain means it's got to be physical. I mean, uh, we, we, and I don't believe this, but we could do this. We could substitute physical for aliens, right? Or, or demons. Let's do that because that's also a false uh, thinking that, that people do. Uh, throughout history. And, and, and of course, seculars love that. They love that illustration that Christians blame everything on demons, which isn't true either. Um, but let's say that, that 80% could be explained. And then 20%, we would say, if you can't explain it, essentially, it's got to be demons that have possessed this person's soul. I mean, that's a not provable or unprovable statement. And yet, we're going to accept that as an explanation, but it's really a failure to explain. It's not an explanation. 
And, and so I think it's very comforting to have this, well, when I can't explain it, let's just label them and categorize them as an abnormal because it actually falls outside of my ability to explain. I think that's why it's so appealing to many Christians. Uh, but, and again, in a loving way, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to point out it's actually a failure to explain. It's not an explanation. It's not, it's not, it's just redescribing. It's not explaining. So your answer is that uh, in large part, it's a backup plan. Uh, when we don't know what the answer That's is it. to what's going on with the person. And so we yep. move from Scripture to uh, the DSM-5 as a secondary uh, piece of source material uh, to explain, which, again, as you say, doesn't explain, but it's a temptation to use that as an explanation. That's right. That's yeah, right. Okay. All right, uh, DSM-5, TR, all right. Uh, anything else? Great to see you, Rick. Yeah, it's good to see you. What You got any speaking coming up? Uh, I'm, I'm doing a couple of classes in Brazil, uh, headed to South Africa uh, in the summer, and um, uh, just, you know, working on, on uh, things here, uh, but getting getting geared up, actually working on outline this morning for – uh, two new books, uh, one on, on biblical discipline, uh, discipleship, and uh, another one on just a practical guide for, for biblical counselors to help people labeled as schizophrenic. So uh, th- those are kind of my projects right now till the summer, and then speaking starts, picks back up. So Excellent. All right, brother. Yep. Thank you. Thank be, you. Be All blessed. Right. Grace to you. See you, Rick. Bye. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.